Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Before the uh, before I do the message, I wanted to do something a little bit different, uh, a little risky, and uh, slightly maybe too much youth pastor-esque, but that's okay because I, I have that position. Um, but a couple, a couple months ago, going back to May, I actually uh, gave a similar message to what I'm going to do now, but I, I did it at youth group, and I challenged the kids to see if they could remember the passage and the topic. So if any of the kids that were there remember the topic and want to raise their hand and actually say it out loud, uh, I have a little prize for you that I can give you later, but I'm only going to take one, so raise your hand to do it now if you remember. This doesn't reflect on my job. And, I mean, kids forget everything, so just keep that. Well, we've got one in the back there. We're good. Okay. I'm safe. Very good, very good. Hebrews 12, I actually changed it to 1 through 3, and, and endurance. My job is, is safe, so I'm good. Um, I do have a Barry Winkles gift card for you, Erica, so thank you, thank you for that and for saving my job. If you're nice, you can share it with your mom. <laughs> All right, well, um, I wanted to, wanted to talk about endurance, and I wanted to see if the kids could endure in remembering something uh, for a couple of months, if properly motivated. I actually didn't tell them what the prize was, but I told them there would be a prize, um, so thank you for enduring and, and remembering that and making me look good up here. Uh, I do also want to warn you before we pray and get into this that I, I practiced this six or seven times yesterday, and each time I was always a little bit long. And so I'm going to try and keep it within the, the it will not be within the 30-minute time period, so I'm just going to let you know that. I, I think it's just God's sense of irony that a sermon on endurance is going to be longer. I don't know how it's going to go, but that's the way it is. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to... Um, Look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, so you can turn to that uh, right now as we prepare to, to see what the Lord has for us this morning. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for just the opportunity to preach your word, Lord, for um, just the face of Jesus that we see in your scriptures and how, uh, how living and active it is, Lord, and that it is powerful and useful for teaching us, for training us, for challenging us and encouraging us and building us up in righteousness. Lord, I pray that uh, this morning that we would be encouraged to run the race for you, Lord, that we would see in your word how you have laid up for us uh, so many treasures, Lord. I pray that we would take hold of them this morning, that your, your spirit would move in us right now, and that you would uh, come upon me so that I can preach your word boldly uh, and with a spirit of encouragement and enthusiasm. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, yes, we're going to talk about enduring in faith, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Uh, before we look at that, there is a, uh, there's a fairly famous story in Homer's Odyssey about uh, the hero Odysseus and how he is, uh, he's getting ready for this voyage. And as he's, as he's sailing on the voyage, he hears that he's going to encounter these creatures called the sirens, which, which were creatures that would surround ships and they would sing these beautifully enchanting, captivating songs that would hypnotize the sailors and cause them to follow them. And as they followed the sirens, they would find themselves shipwrecked and then, and then drown in the rocks around the islands. And so uh, Odysseus, there's a little artist rendering of what this may have looked like. Odysseus is getting ready for the voyage, and to prepare for this, he, he decides that he's going to uh, plug the ears of his sailors with wax and then have them wrap cloths around their head to avoid hearing the song of the sirens and succumbing to their temptation. Uh, but you see in, in the picture, um, there, there's a character chained to the mast. And that's Odysseus, because he decided that he wanted to hear the song of the siren. He was curious, what, what is the song that has led so many ships off course that has cost the lives of so many men? So he had his men strap him to the mast, 
tightly, and he instructed them, do not release me no matter what happens. So they're, they're sailing along, and the sirens are coming, and as, the, as they hear the music, the men just keep straight on because they don't hear it. But Odysseus starts to shout to the men to release him. He starts to shout, we need to turn the boat around. We need to follow these people. We need to follow the song. But the men keep sailing straight ahead. And as the song goes on, Odysseus begins to lose his mind, and he begins to, to contort his body. He begins to convulse and try and wriggle his way out of the bonds. And the men actually rise up, and they bind him even tighter to the mast. And eventually, when, when the sirens have left and when they're out of range, the men take the cloth around, from around their face, and they pull the wax out of their ears, and they release Odysseus, who at the end of that was, was fatigued and exhausted and, and almost had passed out from enduring such an incredible trial. I think when I, when I think about the topic of endurance, this is kind of what I picture. Just, I mean, having to literally force your way through a difficult situation, having to gut something out, um, just having to really just bind yourself to something so much so that by the end of, of the ordeal, the situation, the circumstance, you know, whatever it is, by the end of it, you find yourself fatigued, exhausted, and on the verge of madness, much like Odysseus. Uh, as we talk about endurance, and, and in particular Hebrews 12, and how it exhorts us to, to endure in our faith, uh, we're going to see a different context, a different, a different method of enduring than just gutting it out like that, than just forcing yourself through this. Uh, so let's, uh, let's read the, uh, the words in Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore we are surrounded, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This, uh, this passage follows right on the heels of Hebrews 11, which gives us the great heroes of the faith, which, which lists men like Moses and Noah and Abraham and uh, Rahab, and it, and it tells us how they endured for their faith. So it reminds us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, today, as we look at endurance, I have uh, four points I'm going to talk about, which I did think was kind of funny that it's a, it's a three-verse passage, but there are four points that come out of it. So it'll be interesting. Um, four points we're going to look at is your context of endurance, your calling to endurance, your capabilities in endurance, and your crown through endurance. So looking at the first point, your context of endurance, um, the first thing to address here is, is what do we mean by context? When I, when I say your context of endurance, uh, what are we talking about? Well, your context is the arena in which you live and view your life. It's, it's what defines you. And it, it's, if somebody asks you what makes you you, what do you want people to know about you? What do you want people um, to see in you? What are you living your life for? What are, what are your objectives and your goals? What are the things that get you through each day? What are the things that give you purpose? What defines you? Um, you know, it could be something like your accomplishments, your occupation, your family, um, the legacy you hope to leave to future generations, um, the respect you cultivate from others. However you answer that question about what defines you illustrates, identifies what your context is. And whatever your context is dramatically shapes the way that you approach and perceive endurance. Uh, the dictionary defines to endure as to tolerate or suffer something painful or difficult with patience. Patience being the key word there. Uh, when you think about it, endurance is a part of everyday life. I mean, every day we are called to endure something. If you're really looking forward to lunch, maybe you're going to Scotty's, right now you're enduring a long sermon. And for that, I apologize. 
Um, I mean, every single day we endure things that we're, you know, that cause us discomfort, that cause us annoyance, that things that we just would rather do other things, but we endure them for a purpose. And there's typically a purpose, and when properly motivated, we can endure a lot. I mean, most of the time, uh, if somebody asks me what was the sermon on um, Sunday afternoon, I'll have to go, um, something about the Bible, maybe? Um, Hebrews, I think. But, but, you know, Erica Bergman remembered what our passage was from May because she was properly motivated. She knew there was, there was a reward. So when properly motivated, we can, we can endure a lot. We can do almost anything. When I was younger, uh, I had this really bad habit of sucking my thumbs at night. Not both at the same time. But just, I would go to sleep. It was this unconscious thing. I wouldn't intend to suck my thumb, but I'd wake up in the morning. There it was. My mom like, ah, you have to stop this because... She read all sorts of books about why this was bad. It really didn't bother me at all. I didn't, I didn't feel the need to stop sucking my thumb. It was just at night. Nobody saw it. Nobody laughed at it. I mean, it's just my mom. It really bothered my mom. My wife's not too crazy about it either, but... <laughs> just kidding. No, it, it, has, it has stopped. <laughs> uh, but my mom was really, really passionate about, you know, you need to stop this. It's a developmental thing you need to get over. So she came up with a plan. If you can, if you cannot suck your thumbs for a month, I will give you a, a reward, a prize. And it was this micro machine car wash set. You put the micro machine on the car wash, and you like turn this little crank, and it goes through the car wash. It was really, really cool, and I really, really wanted it. So all of a sudden, I was motivated, and I started coming up with plans. How can I stop sucking my thumbs? And and the plan I came up with was I was going to put band aids on my thumbs so that when I fell asleep, you know, I put my hand in there. It's sticky. It tastes weird. It's gross. It's you know, it's a band aid. So I'm going to suck my thumbs anymore, and it worked. I mean, after a month, I was done with it, and my wife didn't even know about it until I talked about it right now. <laughs> uh, you know, we can endure a lot when properly motivated. If there's something that we're focusing on getting through, we can endure a lot. And I mean, we see this all the time in our lives, but we have issues, we have a problem, we struggle when reasons for our endurance aren't there, when, when there doesn't seem to be a point behind whatever we're, we're having to endure. When, there, when the circumstances and situations in our life just don't have an objective, they don't seem worth the struggle, when, the, when there's, just, there's just no sense to it. And there are lots of situations like this in our life that we have to endure. I mean, things like a difficult or unsatisfying job, um, chronic pain or illness that you may struggle with daily, um, you know, being single, uh, struggling with infertility or miscarriages, uh, feeling directionless or or even having a direction, knowing exactly where you're called to go, but not being able to open those doors for yourself to make those things happen. Uh, the unexpected deaths of a family member, a friend, or a loved one. I mean, all of these things are things that don't make sense to us. They're, they're things that invade our context and make us say, why, why is this happening? What is going on? I can't, I can't deal with this. There's no point to this. When I was in junior high, I had a really good friend that, I mean, literally the first thing I knew about this guy was that he wanted a brother. I mean, from day one in Sunday school class, that was his prayer request. He wanted a baby brother. He just really wanted to be a brother and, ha and have a, a, a brother around. He, his parents desperately wanted a, another son. And it was always their prayer request. And God was faithful, and he gave them a son. And, and I remember just, for us in sixth grade, we were rejoicing. I mean, we'd been praying for this brother for so long, and then... They got pregnant with a son, and we're like, yes, God answered our prayer. God heard the prayers of his people, and he was faithful. But when the brother was born, he had a disease, and he died nine days after his birth. And we're all like, what? what? Why did that happen? I don't, I don't know why that happened. What, what was God doing? 
Uh, two weeks ago, we sent a, a team to Mexico for a short-term trip, and uh, this was the fifth year that we've gone to Mexico. And it, it, we were reflecting, I was reflecting on, on the times we had there, and, and the first year we went to Mexico, we met a man named Hugo who was not a Christian, but was kind of hanging out with the church and, and helping with what we were doing because his family had started going to the church. He wasn't sure what to make of this. He, he wasn't quite sure what he thought about God or these people, but, but it was really cool to see over the years Hugo became a Christian, his wife became really involved with the church. Uh, he was in the military, and so one year we actually got to set up this homecoming because he came home early from deployment, and it was this beautiful, sweet moment we got to share with his family as he surprised them, and they were so excited to see him. And, and, and Hugo would talk about how he's going to finish his commitment to the military, he's going to uh, get a good job, and then he's going to really focus on putting his family, his wife, and his Lord and Savior first. Well, this year we, we came to Mexico, and we found out that Hugo was in jail. We found out that, that his platoon had deserted a post, and even though there was, uh, there was proof that Hugo and a small group of men were not part of the deserters, that just the way their, their justice system is set up and the way the military handled it, put the entire group in jail. And so we didn't even get to see Hugo's wife because she was working like every hour of the day just, just to make ends meet, just to get her family provided for. And we found out that she's fighting so hard to, to get her husband released, but, but she has no hope of, of when or if that'll ever happen. We're just like, why... Why does that happen? Why, why does God allow those kinds of situations to continue? And they just don't seem to have a point. In fact, they, if we're called to run a race, they just don't, that doesn't seem to be helping. How can you run a race from, from, from a situation like that? Oh, I don't know why situations like this happen. I mean, I don't, I don't know why specific situations and instances of pain and suffering inflict our lives. I don't know why God allows these kinds of situations to invade our context. But there is, a, there is a temptation that I wrestle with in here, and I would imagine most of us wrestle with, and that is to make these situations our ultimate context, to make these situations define us, to define ourselves by the struggles that we have. And the writer in Hebrews reminds us that we are part of a, a much bigger, a much greater context, not a context that undermines or demeans the suffering that we have, but a context that engulfs and that encompasses and that shows us there's something bigger. And I really want to be clear, I'm not saying that our sufferings or the situations that God leads us into are meaningless, because God doesn't say that. I mean, it's not that they're meaningless, just focus on, on God. Um, I mean, God calls us to endure. If they were meaningless, he would say, just throw them off. They're meaningless. But, but he calls us to endure, which means there is purpose. There is significance behind them. We do have a context of suffering. But what we hear with that great cloud of witnesses is a greater context. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We are surrounded by men and women who have fought this fight before us, who have endured in their faith, men and women who have endured struggles and trials of many kinds. I mean, we are, our context becomes bigger when we realize that we are surrounded by these heroes of the faith, that we're surrounded by brothers and sisters who've endured like us, brothers and sisters that we will spend eternity with. I mean, if you are in Christ, this is your context. Your context does not begin and end with your suffering or your circumstances. It becomes bigger. You become part of something bigger that God is doing. And the biggest thing we need to do is hear the testimony of those people. We need to hear the testimony of their faith and conform to the pattern of their faith, not to the pattern of the world around us. I mean, this is what we're being exhorted to endure, to do in Hebrews 12. Um, and this is our calling to endure, which, which brings us to the next point. Your, your calling to endure. Um, if you look in, again in verse 1, um, the writer gives us, gives us this calling, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. I mean, we are, we are called to run 
with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. And a couple things to note about this calling. First of all, the race that we are called to run has been marked out for us. And this is not a race that you get to choose the direction. This is not a race where you get to plan where you're going. This is a race that has been marked out for you by God. God chooses the situations and the circumstances that you are going to encounter. God chooses what kinds of things are going to invade your context. Uh, when I was in junior and senior high, I ran cross-country track. I loved cross-country because it was just more exciting. There were hills and what seemed like mountains while you're running. and I mean, rivers and in Nebraska and Indiana, there's a lot of cornfields that get a little treacherous as you run through them. Uh, but the first thing we did when we appeared at any uh, cross-country race, when we showed up, the first thing we did is to grab a map, study the course, walk the course, jog the course a couple times so that we knew where we were going. It was very important because we weren't just told to run until the timer went off, and then they were going to check and see, you know, how fast everybody ran. I mean, we, there was a course that we were supposed to run, and that's, that's what we're being called to run, a course that has been marked out for us, not one that we get to decide. Uh, but unlike cross-country, one of, the, one of the interesting things about this is not only has this course been marked out, but, but we don't know where it goes. God doesn't give us a road map of where he's going to lead us. God emphasizes that he wants us to run. Run the race marked out for us by him, but he doesn't, even, I mean, he doesn't give us the direction that we're supposed to run, clearly. I mean, he doesn't say you're supposed to take this job, you're supposed to have kids here, you're supposed to raise your kids there, they're supposed to go to school here. God, God just tells us to run. The emphasis is on running in faith. And then the other emphasis is on persevering, on enduring. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for you. And when we look at this, this element of persevering, of, of enduring, uh, it's, it's really important to note what that means is it means making difficult decisions. If that meant something easy, it would not, we would not have the command to endure, to persevere. It means making difficult decisions. I mean, it means making decisions for, for the sake of God, following God's context and God's plan, not, not your own. And it means that, that sometimes we have to make decisions that are going to cause us pain and discomfort and, and not be the fun things to do. But it means that we do those for the sake of the gospel. And if you look again at the great cloud of witnesses, you see that in their lives. I mean, if you look at Noah, Noah obeyed God and he built an ark while the entire rest of the world was, was scorning and mocking him for what he was doing. Uh, Abram left his family, he left his community, and he was Ill, even willing to sacrifice his only son for the sake of following the Lord. Uh, Moses had everything by worldly standards. I mean, he was an heir to the, the, the throne of Pharaoh. He, he was uh, highly respected. He had riches, he had wealth, he had prestige, he had fame, and he gave all of that up so that he could be numbered with God's people, so that he could be the deliverer of God's people. Uh, even Rahab, who's mentioned at the very end of Hebrews 11, um, I mean, she risked her life. She, she betrayed her city so that she could aid God's people, so that she could be a part of God's redemptive plan. I mean, the, this great cloud of witnesses, not only do they give us a greater context with, within which to endure, but, but they give us an example of what that endurance looks like, of the decisions that we have to make, of the, sometimes the fact that God uses his people in times of prosperity, and he also uses them in times of suffering, in times of despair. He also uses them to make difficult decisions for the sake of his kingdom. But, but as we look at this, the, the question that, that I ask anyway is, okay, but how do I do that? Because I read the Bible, and, and yeah, those decisions seem fun, but how do I do that? I mean, how do I make these difficult decisions? What, what gives me the strength to endure what is coming my way or what I'm in the midst of? 
Uh, and even if I look at the Bible, I know that, that those people that were just lifted up as a great cloud of witnesses, they also struggled. They, they didn't make the best decisions all the time. And they struggled enduring in their faith. So if they're struggling, how am I supposed to do this? Uh, this brings us to the third point, which is your capabilities in endurance. And we're given three things, actually. If you ask the question, how do I endure? How do I run this race with perseverance? We're given three things uh, in Hebrews 12. I mean, the first two are to throw off every, everything that hinders you and throw off the sin that entangles you, the sin that clings to you. I mean, as, as, you look, as we look at this calling to run the race, it's important to note what, uh, what kind of a context this is, this is written. I mean, it's written to the, to the Greeks and the Romans who would have made a connection between a race and the Olympic Games that they celebrated, the Olympic Games that they competed in. And, and when, a, when a racer, when, when uh, an Olympian, an athlete, would get ready to race, what they would do is they would train so that every hindrance was off them. They didn't want anything that could weigh them down. They didn't want anything that was going to slow them up. They wanted to, to make the weakest part of their body the strongest so that they would be ready for the race. They, even when they would run, they would throw off their garments. They would run completely naked so that there was nothing on their body that was slowing them down or holding them back. I mean, many of us are, are looking to the Olympics now with anticipation as they get ready to start here soon. And I, I saw a commercial the other day. Uh, it was about Michael Phelps. I think it was a Visa commercial. Um, but, you know, it had this very inspirational music playing in the background. And Morgan Freeman was narrating because any good, really great commercial will have Morgan Freeman narrating. Uh, and he said, you know, in this very dramatic voice, he said, a hundredth of a second is faster than the blink of an eye, faster than a flash of lightning. And it was the difference between Michael Phelps winning eight gold medals instead of seven. A hundredth of a second. Just think of the cheers if lightning strikes twice. There's a, I have no idea what they had to do with Visa, quite honestly. But th there's, a, there's a message in there that, that this race, that, that, that we need to be reminded that what we're about to see in the Olympics is extremely precise. I mean, one hundredth of a second is the difference between the winner and the loser. I mean, this race is precise. And what you see going on there is, is intense. And I mean, you better believe that as Michael Phelps is training, he's training in a way where he's going to remove everything that could potentially hinder him. And he cannot afford to have anything that's going to hold him back. Because if one hundredth of a second makes all the difference, then he cannot afford to have any weight, any extra things, anything that's going to hinder him. And if that is true of the, the races that Michael Phelps competes if that's true of the Olympics, I mean, how much more true is that of us? How much more true is that of the race that we're running for the Lord? I mean, we are commanded to throw off anything and everything that hinders us. And, and hindrances are difficult. They're difficult to identify. They're difficult to, um, they're easy to justify. They're difficult to, to really throw off. Um, they're not sin for everyone. I mean, these are not sinful things. They're things that, for whatever reason, hold us back, they hold you back, and they cause you to fall into temptation. They're not something just blanket, you know, blanket statement. You can say, all oh, this is wrong for everybody. There's something that's an individual for you, something that weighs you down. Uh, I personally am someone who loves entertainment. I love watching TV. I love playing games on my iPod. I love checking my email every hundredth of a second. Uh, <laughs> I, I love entertainment. And so one of the things that I have to do sometimes is I have to put my iPod in another section of the house when I go to bed, because I know if it's right beside me, I'm going to wake up in the morning, I'm going to grab it, I'm going to start checking my email, start playing Angry Birds, um, you know, try words with friends, try, trying to do these things that I know are going to distract me from really starting my day off in a way that encourages me to run 
with endurance. So, so that's something I have to do. I mean, iPods aren't sinful. They're not wrong. I know lots of people that are greatly encouraged to read and study their Bible more through their iPod. But for me, I've identified it as a hindrance. So I take steps to put it aside. But I can justify it. I can say, I've got a Bible on my iPod. So if, if I don't have my Bible with me, I, I can't study. I can't make notes. I can't, you know, sync my, my Bible reading plan because that's on my iPod too. You know, I, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I can justify it away and make it seem like a good thing. But I can also put my iPod in another room and put an actual Bible beside me. So I grab it and start the day off right. And, and if I really want to sync my Bible reading plan, I can, I can read the Bible later on during the day because that's all right too. Hindrances are things we have to throw off. We have to throw off everything that hinders us, and it's important for us to identify the things that hinder us individually. Um, you know, in, your, in our lives, we have, to, we have to run the race well. I mean, we, we have a race to run, and because of that, we have to throw off everything that hinders us. Uh, but the second one is sin, and the sin that entangles us, that clings to us. And this one is more serious than the hindrances. I mean, hindrances, they weigh us down, they hold us back, they make it difficult to run, but, but sin entangles us. It, it snares us. It clings to us. It stops us in our tracks. It brings us to the ground. I mean, it really does damage on the race that we're running. And it's important to throw our sin off. And, and if, you, if you look at this passage, sometimes it's easy when we read about sin, like Jesus died for the sin of the world. And it's easy sometimes in my, in my fallen heart for me to say, oh, it's just sin. It's the sin of the world. It's, it's just out here. It's, it's not personal. Um, it's easy for us to sometimes just exclude ourselves when we talk about sin. But the sin that's talked about here is different. We don't, we don't have that option. It's, it's personal. It clings to us. It entangles us. What the writer in Hebrews is talking about is the sin that you struggle with, the sin that you find it hard to resist every day, the sin that clings to you, that entangles you, that you want to hold on to. And again, we are giving the command to throw it off because we have a race to run. We have to throw off everything. And if you look at the great cloud of witnesses again, and you see it, they struggled with their sin. Uh, Moses was not able to enter the promised land because of, his, uh, because of the severity of his sin. I mean, we heard that in our, in our uh, Old Testament reading today. Uh, David, his, his kingdom and his family were divided uh, because of his sin. He lost children because of his sin. I mean, even the great cloud of witnesses struggled to throw off their sin but again, it is extremely serious. If the race that we are running is more precise than the things that Michael Phelps competes in, it is so important that we throw off every hindrance and every sin that entangles us. But, but again, you ask that question, okay, how? Because before, you said persevere and endure, and we're like, okay, how? So then you said you're going to tell me how, and then you said to do two other things that also seem impossible. So now there's four things that I can't do. How do I do this? I mean, I, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're thinking about this honestly, I mean, when I read this passage... I started thinking personally about hindrances and sins, and they just seem impossible to throw off. They just seem too big, too great. Well, the next part of this, of this passage, he, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, directs us to the source of our capabilities to endure. We need to throw off sin. We need to throw off everything that hinders, but we cannot do that on our own. And that's when we're commanded to fix our eyes on Jesus. And the passage says to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the founder, and protector of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, that's, that's our reason for enduring. That's the capability we have to endure. I mean, it says fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. I mean, this means that Jesus, 
is the beginning and the end of our faith. He, he's, the, he's the foundation. He's the one that began it, but, but he also sees it through. He's the one that perfects it. He's the one that completes it. That means when we look to Jesus, we have the strength to endure these things. We have the strength to throw off our hindrances, to throw off our sin. I mean, it's true. There is no circumstance, no difficulty, no hindrance, no temptation, and no sin that is too great for Jesus. Nothing is too great to be dealt with than not be dealt with by, by fixing your eyes on Jesus. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, these things can be thrown off. Uh, but again, I, I think we need to unpack that too because I've been in situations where they say, your struggles are meaningless, just look at Jesus. And I'm like, all right, point me to him. Well, you know, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, how do I fix my eyes on Jesus? And I mean, it needs to be said that, that in Scripture we have the Word of God, and Jesus is the Word of God. So the best way to fix your eyes on Jesus is to be in the Word of God, to be reading your Bible regularly and being encouraged by what's in it. But, but when we look at the Word of God and when we look at Christ, what we see is we see God, we see the creator of the universe, the, creator, the, the one who created us, who formed us, in our mother's wombs, the one who, who is created, who has uh, brought us to life, who has made us go from being dead in our sins to alive in him. Uh, we see a God who was not, uh, not so arrogant or so conceited that, that he didn't run the same race that he's asking us to run. I mean, Jesus came to earth, and he ran the race, and he knew exactly where he was headed, which you think, well, I kind of want to know where I'm headed. Jesus knew where he was headed, and it wasn't pretty. I mean, he was headed for the cross. He was headed to endure a tremendous shame and agony and a horrific, painful death. But he came to earth and he ran that race and he endured that. And then he endured death on the cross. He was tempted in every way more than we could ever, ever know and yet was found without sin. Yet he ran that, he ran that race perfectly. And it's important to note that, that in the midst of that, you know, on the cross, he was cut off from his Father and the Spirit. And the reason why I say it's important to note that is because when I struggle in a situation, uh, in something that's difficult, I typically ask the question, why? And I think all of us do. I mean, the Psalms are filled with people asking the question, why? Why do I have to endure this? Why do these people have to endure that? And, and the thought that's behind that is, is that it's just not fair. I shouldn't have to endure this. I'm a, it's not fair. These people shouldn't have to endure that. It's just not fair. And there is, there is some truth to that. I mean, we live in a fallen world, and it's not fair. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge that I am a sinner, that I contribute to the darkness in my heart, that I contribute to the darkness in the world around me. But Jesus on the cross was different. And Jesus was on the cross, and he's the only man who did not deserve to, to experience the penalty for sin, the only man who did not deserve to have to endure the fallenness of the world, the only one who is innocent and taking on the wrath of God. And in the midst of that, he cried out, why? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he didn't hear anything in response. And God had turned his back on him so that he could open his arms to us. I mean, it's so important to see that Jesus on the cross was cutting himself off from his father so that he could connect us to him. And he endured the cross, he despised the shame so that we could fix our eyes on him and find the strength that we need to run the race. And we do not endure, we do not throw off sin, we do not throw off hindrances, we do not endure because of our strength, we endure because of Christ's strength, because of what he has done for us. It would be really easy to end right there because we need nothing more than Christ. 
Um, really, really easy to end with, just fix your eyes on Christ. But, but the writer of Hebrews goes on, um, and he says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. And there's a difference in that exhortation. There's a difference between fixing your eyes on Christ and considering him who has endured such hostility, considering the work of Christ. I mean, fixing your eyes on Christ implies that we're directing our eyes away from one thing and onto another. It's, it's a change of perception, a change of context. But considering implies meditation, contemplation, really pondering the work of Christ. And what we see there is, is there's an implication that you can fix your eyes on Christ and still grow weary and still lose heart. And there's something deeper, there's something better behind that. There's something more that we're supposed to see when we meditate on and, and contemplate the works of Christ. And that's, that's our final point, your crown through endurance. I mean, it, it, says, uh, it says again that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. I mean, Jesus did not rejoice in the cross because of the suffering he was about to endure. He did not rejoice in the cross because he knew he was going to be cut off from the Father or because he knew he was going to endure great shame. He rejoiced in the cross because he knew what was waiting on the other side of it. He rejoiced in the crown of thorns because he knew there was a crown of glory coming up. He rejoiced in going to the cross because he knew that though he was surrounded by murderers and thieves and people that were demanding his death, he knew that after that he was going to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. He was going to rejoice with his brothers and sisters that he purchased by the cross that he was facing. I mean, that, that crown of glory is true for Christ and it's true for us. And this is what we see when we, when we meditate on the work of Christ. I mean, it's, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And then in 2 Timothy, he said, uh, the in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I mean, when you consider and meditate on the work of Christ, that's what you see. That there's something better waiting for you. That there is a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness that was purchased for you by Christ. So we fix our eyes on Christ, on the work that he's done on our behalf, on how he has set us free from sin and death. But we also meditate on what is to come, on the fact that he is returning, and he's bringing with us, bringing to us a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness. I mean, that's what we're enduring for. That's the greater context. That's, that's the bigger motivation that allows us to endure all these other things, all these other trials. I mean, that's the key that's waiting on the other side of them. Uh, Greek mythology tells of another somewhat famous encounter with the sirens, and that's when uh, a man named Jason and his crew, the Argonauts, on, on their ship, the Argo, were uh, getting ready to, to in, uh, go on this voyage for uh, the Golden Fleece. And Jason is warned that only one man has escaped the sirens, and that was Odysseus, and, and he's, he's told what he did. But when Jason gets ready for the voyage, he doesn't bring cloth for the men to wrap around their head. He doesn't bring wax for them to plug their ears with. Uh, he brings a man named Orpheus. And Orpheus was an odd choice for this voyage because Orpheus uh, wasn't a warrior. He wasn't, he wasn't an experienced sailor. Orpheus was a musician and a poet. And so what Jason does is, is as they're nearing the island of the Sirens and they're, and they're beginning to hear their songs, he tells Orpheus to start playing. And what the, what the myth tells us is that the song that Orpheus played was, was sweeter. It was greater. 
It was more beautiful. It was more glorious than the song of the sirens. So the sirens were able to literally surround the ship and sing their songs as loud as they wanted, but, but the men didn't succumb to it because the song that was in their ship was greater. It was more beautiful. I mean, they were able to sail right through the sirens, enjoying their time more than they did before. I mean, you could almost think they're going to go, hey, can we do that again? That, that was beautiful. That was great. The song that Orpheus played was sweeter and more glorious than the song of the sirens, and, and that's what we have in the gospel. And we have a song that is far more sweeter, far more glorious, far more beautiful and captivating than anything that, that's going to come our way, any situation, any circumstance that we see in our life, anything that we struggle with, the gospel is sweeter than that. And when we fix our eyes on Christ and meditate on him, we see that. I want to close by reading the, uh, the final verses in Hebrews 12, uh, starting in verse 18, because this gives us a picture of what is to come. This gives us a picture of, of, of Jesus returning, and it says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And, and that's what we see at the end of Hebrews 12. I mean, that's our reason for enduring. We see that, that our struggles right now are, are insignificant compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. I, mean, I, I don't know what, what you may be struggling with right now. I don't know what, what situations you're dreading as they come up. I don't know what situations are, are bringing you to the ground right now that you're in. I don't know why my friend's brother died. I don't know why Hugo's in jail right now. I mean, I don't know what the songs are singing in your life. I don't know what, what kind of destruction and despair and depression the songs in your life are, are trying to, to entice you with. But I do know that the gospel is a sweeter, more glorious song that anoints our ears and delights our spirit. I do know that Christ has purchased a far greater crown for us than anything we're going to experience right now. So I, I exhort you this morning, just as, as the writer of Hebrews did, to, to meditate on Christ, to contemplate the work of Christ, and to fix your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for I thank you for your gospel and for the songs that you have given us to sing, that we have something far sweeter to endure the storms of life with. Lord, I pray that as we wrestle 
with our lives as we wrestle with the situations and circumstances that you bring to us in this race. I pray that we would run with perseverance, that we would endure the race that you have given us. Lord, I pray that by, by your spirit and by fixing our eyes and meditating on your son, Lord, that we would experience all that we need and all the strength that we need to run and rejoice in what you've given us now so that we know that we will rejoice in heaven with you, that we will receive a greater crown. I pray this in your name. Amen.